0: stories. I think we, we all do. Um, they, they fire us up, right? They give us this um, this courage as as believers to share the good news with others because we see what can happen if we do. Uh, and they also, I think, speak to, uh, to non-believers because uh, because it, it helps you take these big, kind of seemingly scary theological ideas and, and put flesh on them, make them real, make them relatable. And and especially, I think it fires me up to hear teenagers uh, who, as Scarlett said, live in a culture where so much is pushing them away from following Jesus, and to hear these two girls just talk about how how boldly they, they are, how bold they are about Jesus, and they are so thirsty to hear God's word that they're not even drawing on. Offer or anything like that. They are just <laughs> sitting, they are going to sit here and listen to the sermon right now. They don't have time to go and get changed. So, <laughs> 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 so that's exciting. This is a big part of our calling. as For those of us who are followers of Jesus, we are to tell our stories. We are called to be witnesses in the world. Jesus said in Acts 1 verse 8 that, that his followers would, re- would receive power from the Holy Spirit and that they would be his witnesses telling the story of what he had done for them in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And last week we looked at how God in the, in the beginning of Acts 8 allowed persecution to strike the church in Jerusalem. And he allowed that because he was wanting to compel the church outwards, to actually fulfill these words, to to go out to these places. And so one of them was a guy named Philip, and and Philip went to Samaria, one of those places that Jesus had spoken of in Acts 1, to this group of Samaritans. He preaches the gospel about Jesus. Many believe, many trust Peter and John come from Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit is poured out on them. At the same time there's a a sorcerer who gets knocked down about 24 pegs, gets everything wrong, tries to buy the Holy Spirit, and gets a good old-fashioned verbal whooping from Peter. So that happened as well. But this week in the last half of Acts 8, we're going to look at, uh, we're going to continue to look at Philip, who I think is one of the more underrated figures in the book of Acts as he continues to break new ground by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's pray again, and then uh, you can open up your Bibles to Acts 8. So, Lord, we thank you so much uh, for your goodness, your mercy, and your grace. And, and we, we experience that as a church, Lord, um, your, your grace towards us, your kindness towards us, Lord, that two years into a pandemic, here, here we are baptizing and praising and worshiping you in this home that you have given us. And how good, how good you have been to us, not because of anything we did to deserve it, but just by your mercy, And I pray today, Lord, that we would be even more aware of your mercy, that we would be captivated by it, and that your spirit would draw us nearer and nearer to you. God, all we want, all we desire, all we thirst, Lord, is for your presence, your power, your will to be done in our lives. And we pray for that right here in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're in Acts, Acts 8, uh, starting verse 26, but instead of reading it to you, you get to watch my kids. So here we go.
1: Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace which means Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? for his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Who? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Good news! As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water." water. What can stand in the way of being baptized? And he gave order to stop the chariot. Stop. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. And Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea.
0: So I, I don't know if Natalie's been baptized officially or not, but they enjoyed it so much they baptized each other about four more times. <laughs> I thought that was that was so much fun. Uh, anyways, here's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna we, we want to look at the at the story. We want to look at the process of how a seeker becomes a believer. And I, I think this is gonna be helpful for all of us. Whether you are uh, a seeker, you're you're here you're you're here because something in you says I I want to know. I want to know who God might be, and uh, this morning, I think, is going to give you some, some steps, your, kind of some next steps, and if you are a believer, you probably want to be used by God to help other people know who he is, and this morning, we'll also give help with that, so that's kind of where we're going, and we're going to start with, uh, with the eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch, and here's the first thing we could say about him, that he starts off, his initial starting point is pretty far off from God. Uh, and this is true in a couple ways. This is true just in terms of his, his geography. He is from Ethiopia, we're told. Now, biblically, uh, in the ancient world, Ethiopia was not modern-day Ethiopia. It was just to the south of Egypt, so more like modern-day Sudan. Not that that makes any, any difference to you, but if you're like at the playground and your kids are playing and you want to annoy some other parents with a random factoid, there you go. There it is. So uh, he's, from, he's from that. He's from biblical Ethiopia. He's from a long distance away. And, and the point here is that he didn't grow up with this, right? He did not grow up hearing the scriptures. He didn't grow up going to Jerusalem. The Jews weren't his people. Nothing about Judaism was remotely natural to him. He, w- he was a foreigner starting far off. And then, and then second, you get his title of, uh, as, as being a eunuch. Now eunuchs, the, the basic kind of biblical definition of a eunuch would be a male who was, who was castrated, who was sexually impotent. And whether that was kind of on purpose, whether by himself or others, or it was the result of an accident, or the result of a condition from birth, he was, uh, his, his physiology sexually uh, reproductive-wise, was not functioning. That was kind of the definition of of a eunuch. Now what that meant was that eunuchs could be trusted in the presence of queens, because um, along with their ability to procreate also went their desire to, uh, for the most part. Uh, They were also able to be trusted with other things because without the possibility of extending a family line and establishing a legacy that way, uh, their their personal ambition was somewhat restrained as well, which is why you had guys like like this one in Acts 8 who have significant responsibility in courts, in in the Ethiopian court. Now, you might ask, what does that have to do with, with this eunuch starting a far ways off from God? Well, here's Deuteronomy 23, verse 1. God says, no one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. So a, a eunuch fits that category is not welcome in the assembly of the Lord, even even an Israelite who's in that situation. And a few verses later, in that same chapter, you get some words banning certain foreigners from the assembly of the Lord as well. So if you are certain foreigners, and if you're a eunuch, there is no place in Israel for you. You're you're out. That's, That's it. And then the next question that you might ask is, well, why? Why does God make a rule like that? Why aren't they allowed in? And... And I think what we would need to say is that all of these ceremonial laws in the Old Testament, like Deuteronomy 23, they all have a theological point to them. They help shape the Israelites' thinking and understanding about the world in certain ways. And so here, it's likely that God wants the Israelites to know that sex and procreation are good gifts from God to be enjoyed in their proper context, but they are not gifts to be destroyed or deformed, as would be the case with eunuchs. Now, with that point being made in Deuteronomy, there's later development in the scriptures, and we'll come to that. But for now, let's just take note that an Ethiopian eunuch has all kinds of strikes against him right from the start. That there are a bunch of ways that just would make you say, this is an unlikely person to come to faith in Jesus. And and some of you might feel that same way. You might look at yourself and go, I, I didn't grow up with any of this. I, I didn't, I've never heard any of this before. In fact, in a thousand years, I could never have seen myself becoming a Christian, becoming a follower of Jesus. This just feels all so foreign to you, and yet you're here. I've read a couple of books recently, actually, that kind of um, illustrate the same point. The first was a book about the, uh, the hippie movement in the late 60s and early 70s. These were teenagers uh, and young adults who uh, were were binging on sex, drugs, and rock and roll and uh, who were living in eager and outright rebellion against the dry institutionalism of the church as they saw it. But... A few years in, they began to get really disillusioned with their failed utopias. And so they began to come to Christ in droves. Thousands and thousands of hippie teens and young adults being baptized in the Pacific Ocean on a monthly basis. Incredible stuff. The second book is a a book about a gay man, Beckett Cook who was uh, in the fashion industry in Hollywood, living the life, partying with celebrities, dating all kinds of guys, fully embracing the liberal progressive world uh, around him. Totally in on that. And then one day, he's at a coffee shop, and someone's having a Bible study, which like he had never seen anybody dare to pull out a Bible in his neighborhood in Hollywood. And uh, this guy invites him to church, and almost to his own dismay, he accepts the invitation, probably partly because he's just really curious about this. He shows up at church, and that morning just has this powerful encounter with with Jesus, discovers a love that he had never known in Christ, and just becomes a new creation. It's almost like God delights in this. It's, It's like he delights in taking people that you and I might say, there's no way! Like, this person is so far beyond God's ability to redeem. Like, there's just no way. Do you have people like that in your life? Because I do. I've got people in my life. I'm like, there's just not a chance. Like, they are, like, like fully on the opposite side here. And yet, God delights in this. He goes, like, watch me. Watch what I can do. Nobody is beyond the scope of God's redemption. Nobody. And, And for those of you who have those people in your life, take hope here, okay? Like, nobody no matter what they've done, no matter what their background, is too far beyond the scope of God to redeem and to rescue and to reconcile to himself through Jesus Christ. So the Ethiopian eunuch, starting a far way off, somewhere along the way, heard about the God of Israel. And he was... He was intrigued. And we don't know how this happened, the text doesn't tell us, but it definitely happened. And we don't know for sure what his religious background would have been, what his beliefs would have been, but basically all the nations around Israel were, were polytheistic. They held to a whole number of gods. And if you grew up reading, did anyone grow up reading like stories of Greek mythology? No one. Not a single person. Education is in the dumps these days, guys. No, I'm just kidding. That's fine if you didn't read it. But if you, if you read any Greek mythology, if you've heard any stories, you know that these gods were not role models. They cheated on each other. They fought with each other. They lied. They, they were not all powerful. They didn't know everything. That was all limited. And they, you know, they seemed to need humans as much as humans needed them oftentimes. And so you could see how religion in the, in the first century world, in most cultures, wasn't terribly inspiring. And you might actually feel that way. When you come to the Old Testament and you, and you read some of those passages and, and you might feel as well, well, that's, that's not a very inspiring picture of God either. And I would suggest that that is, is partly due to misunderstanding what the Scriptures actually say. And also partly because we have grown up, many of us have grown up in a culture, not everybody, but many have grown up in a culture that has actually been significantly shaped by Christian faith, whether it knows it or not, has been shaped by this clear portrayal of Jesus in, in the Gospels this clear portrayal of God um, but you got to understand in the first century world in the pagan mindset the scriptures are uh, like the old what we call the Old Testament that that's revolutionary because here you've, you've got a God who who is all-powerful who does know all things here you've got a God who is is separate from creation and, and yet is present everywhere here you've got a God who uh, who is who blesses the world, creates the world to bless it, who creates humans, not as his slaves to do all the messy, dirty work that he doesn't want to do while he sips lemonades and and sleeps in his heavenly hammock, which is not a bad name for a company, a hammock company. So if it's not a thing already, and you start it, and you make millions, I call a free hammock, okay? That's the deal. (laughs) God doesn't create humans that way. He creates them in his image, as his representatives, so if you're, a, if you're a eunuch, an Ethiopian eunuch in the first century, and you hear about this God, this God who is all-powerful, who loves, who blesses, you're, you're drawn to this, right? This, is, this sounds pretty good. This is compelling. And, and you know what? This is true today as well. That we live in a world where some people... Um, have this conception of the divine as just being the universe. Scarlett actually mentioned this in her testimony. You know, you've got got the universe, this vague, impersonal force that may or may not actually care about you, but hey, the universe smiled on me today, the universe was kind to me, that kind of thing. We can say, here is a God who is deeply personal, who, who loves you, cares about you, knows you, in fact, has every hair on your head numbered. You know, there are people in our world today whose worldview is driven by, by woke social justice where there is no redemption for people if they're from a certain kind of status or cultural background and where you're always in danger of being canceled because you hold the wrong opinion. And it might have been the right opinion five minutes ago, but things changed. Didn't you get the memo, you bigot? And yet here we could say, here is a God who loves you and can forgive even the worst of sinners. A God who has come in the person of Jesus, and has actually paid the price for our sins, so that all of us can be set free from shame and guilt. There are people in our world who who think maybe there is no God and and life lacks purpose and meaning and there's this despair that sets in and we can say here is a God who is still on the throne of the universe, a God who is going to make all things new, a God who is able to work all things for the good. Isn't that good news? That's the God that we offer to the world. He's as compelling and as intriguing and as good as he's ever been. So the Ethiopian eunuch, he's from a long distance off, he's intrigued, he's he's drawn to this, and, and here's what he does about it. He makes some moves. He doesn't just do nothing. He makes some moves. Here's the first thing he does. He goes to Jerusalem. Now this wasn't a business trip. Acts 8 tells us that he went there to worship. And his ability to worship in Jerusalem would have been limited because as a foreigner and maybe especially as a eunuch, he would have been limited limited to the outer court of the temple if that, no further. But that was enough for him to make this visit. He, was, that, that, that was, he, he just wanted to be as close as he could. He wanted to soak up as much of God's presence as he possibly could. So he goes to Jerusalem to worship. The second thing he does is he gets a hold of a, of a, of a copy of a scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And you need to understand that the first century world was quite a bit different in our world today. You couldn't expect to just walk into a church and ask a a pastor for a Bible, and he hands you one. I dare you to try that. I dare you to come and ask me for a Bible. Watch what happens. I give it to you. That's what happens. (laughs) It's not what happened in the first century. Uh, You wouldn't just walk into a thrift store and buy one for a couple of bucks. Here's, Here's a rough calculation. I have read that a scroll in the, in the first century, uh, about the length of, of the prophet Isaiah, would have cost at least 10 denarii to make. Probably more, but at least 10. And an average day's wage, we know from the scriptures, an average day wage in first century Israel was about one denarius. So the copy one, a copy of one book of the Bible, Isaiah, uh, Isaiah would cost about 10 days' wages. Now, if you, were, uh, if you were talking about modern BC terms, maybe an average day's wage maybe 200 bucks just to kind of call it somewhere in the middle, maybe 10 days wages. That's $2,000. $2,000 to buy one book of the Bible. So again, pretty rough calculations. Who knows what it was, but... The point is, it was very rare, very difficult, very expensive to have a copy of, scriptures, of the scriptures for your own use. And yet this Ethiopian eunuch is not only investing his time in going to Jerusalem, he's also investing his money. Or the queen of Ethiopia's money. I don't know, maybe he got reimbursed for it. But, but he, he is going all in on this. Pull, pull, no, no stop, no, no holds barred, right? He's going all the way in. And I don't want to say this. If you are here today, and you are, you are seeking... You, you're here because you have a sense, a deep sense, that there's got to be more to life than this. And, and you, and you want to know why is it that Christians seem to have this hope? What is this good news they keep talking about? You think that there might be a God, and you want to know who he is. Then invest in that search with your whole heart. Don't, don't, don't dabble in it. Don't just, like, dip your toes in it. Like, like, like go all the way in, because there's nothing more important in life to settle than this. Don't go, well, I'll figure that stuff out when I'm less busy, like, 20 years from now. Do it, do it now. Go all the way in. And, and here is what God promises. This is God's promise to you from the Scriptures. Jeremiah 29, he says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. With all your heart. Jewish king Asa in 2 Chronicles 15 says, if you seek him, he will be found by you. In Matthew 7, Jesus simply says, seek and you will find. If you want to know who God is, if you genuinely seek him, he will make himself known to you. That's the promise of the scriptures. And that was what was about to happen to this Ethiopian eunuch. And so let's look at this from Philip's perspective now. And uh, Philip uh, is, the, is the second partner in this, in this little dance, but actually there's, there's three partners in this, in this dance at least. The very first thing we read in this text, verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip. Verse 29, The Spirit told Philip. Verse 39, The Spirit took Philip away. See, behind the scenes, and this is always true in every conversion story in the book of Acts, behind the scenes is God, through the Holy Spirit, working to draw people to himself. And so we could say in the final analysis that it's not even the eunuch who is seeking God, but God who is seeking the eunuch, that God is the ultimate seeker. You might remember some of these parables that Jesus tells. He tells the parable about the shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep and goes and looks for that one lost lamb. Or the woman who sweeps her entire house looking for one lost coin. This is who God is. He pursues you. He calls you. Revelation 3, Jesus says, "I, I stand at the door and I knock. See, you might have erected all kinds of barriers Ones that you didn't even know about. But Jesus is, he's, he's coming for you guys. He's coming for you. He, he desires you to know him. He desires that even more than you or I desire it for somebody else. And so if you want to be someone that God uses to help seekers become believers, you first of all need to get this straight. That God is the seeker who is pursuing people and calling them to himself. So God is pursuing the eunuch, and so he sends Philip. He calls Philip to go south to the desert road. Now, if you were with us last week, then you'll know the the context here. Philip had just gone up to Samaria. We said that before. And in Samaria... It was, it was full-out revival. It wasn't a revival because there was nothing there before. It was just, it was just like heaven came down to earth. He preaches the good news about Jesus. Many people believe. Holy Spirit comes down. There's great joy. People are being set free in all kinds of ways. And if you were Philip, you were like, ah, I could spend a very, very long time here because this is fertile ground. And then all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord shows up and says, you've got a, you've got a new assignment, and here it is. And let's be honest. If you're reading the story and you stop right there, you would think that the Spirit is going to tell Philip, I've got a great place for you. It's packed full of people, really thirsty people. They really want to know who I am. That's where you're to go next. But no, the angel tells Philip to go to a desert road and just kind of hang out there. And can you imagine? Like, you're, you're preaching to, like, thousands of people at Rogers Center. And I know to some of you, this sounds like the worst nightmare ever. But, but imagine, you're preaching to thousands of people at Rogers Center, and they're eager, they're thirsty, they're coming up, they're wanting prayer, they're wanting to receive Jesus. Incredible stuff is happening. And then an angel says to you, shows up, and goes, hey, I've got a new assignment for you. I want you to go sit on the side of a desolate highway in northern BC for a while. How do you feel? You're like, what? Like, what, am, I, am I being punished? Am I being exiled? Does God need a, a lesson in strategic missions? Maybe the moose and the elk need to hear the good news too. I don't know. You know, like you would be confused. Why is he doing this? If you want to be someone who God uses to help seekers become believers, you need to be willing to follow him even when it doesn't really make any sense. Even when he calls you to do something that isn't strategic in your mind, if you want to be used by God, you've got to obey that calling. So Philip goes... He's hanging out there, and the, and the spirit, and he, and he sees this chariot, and on the chariot is the Ethiopian eunuch. And the spirit says to Philip, and, and some of us wish that the, the Bible would just kind of break down in a very clear way what exactly this was like for the spirit to say something to him and for him to know that it's the spirit. But I think that's something we, we learn as we grow in Christ to discern His voice. The spirit tells Philip, "Go up to that chariot," and, and so here's God arranging what some people have called a divine appointment where God ordains and orchestrates a meeting between two people for the sake of his glory. And, and, and some of you have those stories. Uh, you know, I've, I've had some of those, not in a, like, a dramatic way like this, but the story that I thought of was one I read in a book about, about Muslims in the Middle East having dreams and visions of Jesus. And so this one woman in Egypt, Muslim mother of eight, has this dream, and she's, she's walking alongside of Jesus, and Jesus is telling her, how much he loves her, what he's done for her. And Jesus tells her, uh, I want you to meet my friend. He's going to tell you more about me. And she looks behind her in the dream, and here, here's this man. She's never seen him before, but she, she looks, there, there he is. He doesn't say anything. Jesus just points him out. The next day, there's a, an Egyptian Christian believer who goes to the marketplace, and he hates the marketplace. It's busy, it's packed, doesn't like being there at all. But he has an, un, just like an undeniable sense from God that he used to go to the marketplace that morning. And he's there, and all of a sudden, this this woman walks up to him and goes, it's you, which is like a dangerous thing for a Muslim woman to say in a marketplace in the Middle East. She goes, it's you, it's you. I saw you in my dream. And he goes, was Jesus in the dream? She's, yeah, he was. Let's go sit down and talk for a little bit. They never met before, right? But here is Jesus just saying, I'm bringing these two people together. I mean, this is what God does. If you want to be used by God to help seekers become believers, uh, first of all, you you need to to be willing. You need to to offer yourself to God and say to God, use me, speak through me, put me in the paths of people that you want me to talk to. Open up the doors so that I'll walk through them. I'm here, I'm available to you. That's That's what Philip does right here. The Spirit tells him to do something. All right, I'm in. he goes, Philip walks up, sidles up to the, the chariot. He hears the eunuch reading this passage of, of scripture. And the, and the first thing Philip does is he asks a question. He, he asks him, Do you understand what you're reading? And and this is maybe maybe this is like a point that you know I'm I'm just I'm kind of basing it off of this. It's it's not like across the board. But but some of us think that, that if we're gonna introduce people to Jesus, that we need to do a lot of explaining. We need to we need to have the answer to every question. And at, at some point there probably is some explaining involved, but actually it starts oftentimes by simply asking good questions. Asking what what are you reading? What are you watching? How, how are you seeing the world? I, uh two months ago in my New Year's sermon, I, I kind of shared some practical tips from a gifted evangelist in our church who has a lot of those kinds of conversations. And that's what she said. She said, just start by asking, how are you doing with everything going on in the world right now? How are you making sense of it all? Where, where are you getting your hope from? If you want to be used by God to help seekers become believers you need to know how to ask good questions. More, actually, than you need to know how to answer every question, you need to know how to ask them. So the, the man is reading from Isaiah 53, verses 7 to 8. And, and, and this, this is part of a section that goes all the way from the end of Isaiah 52 all the way to the end of Isaiah 53. And it's, it's, it's uh, the passage known as the suffering servant, where Isaiah talks about this, this individual, it seems, who suffers... For the sins of his people, and he's righteous, he's innocent, and yet he's despised. People hate him; they treat him so poorly. And yet, as this text that the, the eunuch is reading says, indicates, this this servant of the Lord doesn't really make a big fuss about it. He he receives this disgrace and this humiliation with. Humility. In fact, his life is taken from him, and yet the servant still seems to accept his fate. Now, if, if you're reading Isaiah 52 and 53, if you're reading about the servant of the Lord, and you have never heard about Jesus, how do you make sense of that? What is this passage talking about? Because that's the eunuch's question, too. Like, What, what, is, this, what, is, what is the prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself? Because some Jewish interpreters made that case? Is he talking about the nation as a whole? Some Jewish interpreters made that case? Is he talking about some other historical figure? Maybe, but none of this ever seemed to really fit. And so for the Jewish people, this passage was was shrouded in in mystery. And for the eunuch, he's genuinely baffled by this. He goes, how am I supposed to understand this? I need someone to explain it to me because it doesn't make any sense. And let me tell you that Philip was exactly the right man for the job. Because for these early Christians, Jewish men and women who had been raised hearing these scriptures and never being quite sure what to make of Isaiah 52 and 53, all of a sudden everything had become clear. It's like, uh, it's like a few months ago, uh, we were all in the living room and we're playing Mario Kart uh, and Natalie's like squinting at the TV so much and I knew right then and there we'd have to bring her to an optometrist. Some people call me father, some people call me hero. It's up to you. <laughs> <laughs> so we brought her to the optometrist, the best optometrist on the North Shore, Tony Wong, a little free publicity for him right there, <laughs> part, part of our church. Uh, and, uh, and so she gets glasses, and it was so cool. The moment she put on her glasses, we got them in the mail, she puts them on, and it was like the world kind of changed, right? Everything became clear. Everything became sharper. The way she saw the world, it was just different in that moment. It was so cool to see, you know, a big smile on her face. It's not like she was blind and then could see. It was just a clarifying. But that's, that's kind of what happened for the, the first Christians, for these disciples, is that they had grown up, not sure what these words meant, and now... They did see clearly. They, they understood that all the words of the scriptures, all the words of the prophets had found their fulfillment in Jesus. And so a guy like Philip didn't have to wonder anymore what is Isaiah 52 and 53 about? He knew. He knew that the suffering servant was Jesus, that Jesus had suffered for the sins, not only of Israel, but for all of humanity. That he had, that he had gone to the cross, that he had bore this, he had borne this, this disgrace as an innocent, righteous, holy one, and that he had done it so that we could be set free, so that our sins would be paid for. And so, starting with this scripture, Philip goes, Let me tell you, i like Scarlett said, I got all the answers, guys. Here it is. Here's what, here's what this scripture is about, here's what all the scriptures are about. See, if you want to be used by God to help seekers become believers, uh, you need to understand that the word of God is the way in which the Holy Spirit convicts and enlightens and transforms. That you might have a charismatic personality and you might have learned all kinds of clever, apologetic arguments and you might know all kinds of answers to any questions. Um, God can use those, that's fine. But fundamentally, he uses the scriptures. He uses his inspired word speak into lives. That actually hasn't changed today. That's actually not different. He continues to use his word and so know the scriptures. Understand how the scriptures point to Jesus and show them to people. Now the eunuch hears these words and um, well this is everything that he had been looking for. All the thirst in his life, all his desires had found their fulfillment in Jesus. He understood in that moment that Jesus was not just good news for a Jew, it was good news for him, a foreigner and a eunuch. And I wonder, I'm pretty sure... That what Philip did next was that he said, you know what, my friend, let's let's turn ahead a a few chapters. Let's go ahead a little bit in the scroll of Isaiah. Isaiah 56, we read these words. This is incredible. Isaiah 56 says, Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. Eunuchs, unable to have any kind of family line, any kind of legacy, God is saying, I'm gonna give you something better. And being sons and daughters, you are so far off. I'm going to bring you in. You're going to be part of my family even better than that. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. That was never going to happen to them in the flesh. God says, I'm going to do so much more for you than you could have ever asked or imagined. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. I mean, you put yourself in this guy's shoes. Yeah, amen. Amen. You put yourself in this guy's shoes and, and I mean, he, had, he knew that he was cut off. He knew he was far away. He wanted to know God. And here's Philip explaining to him, this is for you. That you are brought near to the presence of God. You are given a, a name. You are given a memorial. You are given a legacy. You are, you are given, given freedom in Christ Jesus. See, it's the events of Isaiah 53 The work of the suffering servant that makes the events of Isaiah 56, the eunuch and the foreigner being brought near, it makes that possible. Come on, tell me you don't have some shivers down your spine right now. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? This is what God does. And this is for you. And and it's for me. And it's for all of us, no matter how far off we might be, no matter how unlikely we might believe ourselves to be, That God, through Jesus Christ, has brought us near, has filled us with his spirit. He has made us sons and daughters, welcomed us into his temple, even an Ethiopian eunuch, even me, even you. And so what did this guy do? What did this eunuch do? Well, he got baptized, obviously. He said, I want to get dunked right now. Because in that moment, when he trusted in Jesus, he was a new creation. The old had died. He was He was new. He had a new identity, no longer primarily as a eunuch or as a foreigner, but as a child of God by the grace of Jesus. And so he proclaims that through his baptism, and that's what Scarlet and Jewel proclaimed to us this morning, that they are in Christ a new creation. That's what baptism is. Baptism is saying yes to the yes that Jesus has spoken over us. And and then then you you know what he did next? I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty certain that he went back to his homeland and he told anyone and everyone that the same thing was available to them. I'm willing to bet that he went and that he was used by God to help other seekers become believers now that he was a believer. And so this morning, I wanna wanna give you two invitations. I'm gonna invite the worship team up and the prayer team as well. And the prayer team will just get you guys to go over over there uh, on that side of the auditorium, I want to I want to give you two invitations, and we're going to do this a little bit differently than we've often done. I usually invite you to respond after the service um, and to come up for prayer, but today I want to do it right here and during this during this song. I I don't want you to have to wait. I want you to be able to respond right away. And and so two invitations I want to give you. The first and so I'm going to I'm going to say this. I'm going to pray and then and then invite you to come up. So two invitations. One is to the seekers. If you're here this morning and you are, you are wanting to know who God is, first of all, I want to invite you to continue to seek that wholeheartedly. Not to hold back, not to dabble, but to go all in on this. And, and Jesus will make himself known to you. And you will discover that you have been saved and reconciled and redeemed. And if you want to enter into that this morning, if you want to no longer be a seeker, but to be a believer, to find your all in all in Jesus, I want to invite you to come and and to pray with one of us here on on the side. And the second invitation is for those who are believers and uh, and want to be used by God to help seekers become believers. You are not saved for your benefit alone. You are saved also for the benefit of the world, that others would know him. And maybe you have been living a, a, a kind of insular life, you, you've been afraid of being used by God in this way. You've held back. And this morning, I want to invite you to come up and receive prayer that you would be empowered by the Holy Spirit to help seekers become believers. So if one of those two things is true of you, then during this next song, I just want to invite you to come up and pray with one of us here at the front. Let me pray right now. Lord, we thank you for the witness of Philip. Philip. And for the witness of this, this Ethiopian man, this, this eunuch. Jesus, we give you thanks that you're the fulfillment of our deepest desires, our longings, our, our thirst. Jesus, that you have revealed God to us and that you offered your life in our place as a sacrifice for our sin. You are the Lamb of God. Thank you, Jesus, that you rose from the dead and and that you now give us your Holy Spirit, that you give us uh, a new purpose, a new identity. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word and how you call us, Lord, to turn from a life lived for ourselves and, and to find, to find our, whole, um, our, whole, our whole purpose, our whole being in you. Jesus, I, I pray that like the eunuch, that we would meet with you and that we would never be the same again.